Broadcasting from Silicon Valley, California, this is Conversations with Jenny Lynn. Thank you for watching Conversations with Jenny Lynn. I am very grateful for half of the people, for all of the people that I interview on this show. I know that everyone has some lesson and strikes a chord in at least one person. Today, I'm especially happy to share my guest with you. And as I begin this interview, you will understand my excitement and my enthusiasm. He is Dr. Mac Jack Wadikar, PhD. He worked at Pfizer for 28 years. His recent position was the Director of Portfolio Management. In 2020, he met with Vice President Pence, head of the COVID-19 task force at the time. He accompanied the former President George Bush in 2006 to India. He accompanied presidents of, Pfizer, of the Pfizer Corporation of the Research and Development Divisions to India twice. He is currently an independent pharma professional. And I could go on sharing his accomplishments, but I want you to hear from him. So that's where I'll leave it for now as I welcome him to my show. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Janelyn. Thank you for inviting me on this show. And, uh, you know, I heard so many good things about your show. And uh, when you contacted me, I said, sure, absolutely. I will find time to do this. And uh, it's an honor. So thank you. Well, it's an honor for me to spend time with you because you are someone, like many of the other people I've interviewed, that have added tremendous value to the world. And I thank you for that. All of your hard work, along with your team members at Pfizer, have played a great role and is playing a great role in saving lives, especially now. And I am someone who was a recipient of the Pfizer vaccine. That's good. So let's start there. So in 2020, you met with Vice President Pence, at that time, Vice President Pence, um, because you were involved in working on the vaccine that I currently have in my body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, again, you know, I've, I've been involved with the pharmaceutical research for many, many years since I got my doctorate in pharmaceutics. Uh, just to give you my little bit of a background, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned it in your monologue initially, but just to, you know, make uh, more, uh, what I would call, you know, clarity on this. Uh, you know, I started, I got my PhD from in pharmaceutics from the University of Minnesota. And uh, while I was doing my PhD, Pfizer, uh, you know, essentially had come there to recruit people and they said, you know, we want you. And, and I, I was honored to be invited by Pfizer to join them back in 1982. So that's when I started with Pfizer. And, uh, and again, you know, I, I was excited to work at Pfizer because I got a research scientist job, which involved, you know, doing the formulations for lots and lots of drugs because, uh, you know, uh, over my 28 years of work at Pfizer, 
absolutely many things uh, you know were uh, being uh, worked upon and uh, and my you know contribution to pfizer was you know working on the formulation of zoloft right zithromax <laughs> was another one where i worked on the formulation and then also i got to work on some life cycle management uh, products uh, which included viagra and and diflucan which is an antifungal so Familiar so, with them all. So, so I've got involved in that, and then I was involved in the integration of uh, you know these companies that Pfizer uh, ended up buying. So Warner Lambert, followed by Pharmacy Abjohn, followed by Wyeth. So I was involved in those integrations of those activities, and and while I was doing that, you know I was still part of the Pfizer research team, uh, involved in managing new product development as well as uh, aspects of. Uh, what we call you know managing even the external filings for pfizer for pfizer japan for example uh, i used to go to japan four times a year and and i was managing some of their cmc activities in what pfizer wanted to do in japan so all these drugs that i got to work on in the us you know we introduced those drugs in japan and and we had to make sure you know everything that the japanese regulatory body needs we had all the work done prior to our filing the dossier in japan so so i was involved in that so so that that gave me lots of exposure and and then uh, you know because of the acquisition of wyeth you know the vaccines business came to pfizer and otherwise before that pfizer was not into vaccines it was all because of uh, you know wyeth acquisition that Pfizer got into vaccine and from there on you know Pfizer did the deal with BioNTech which is the which is the German company and uh, and essentially they were the the developers of the technology for mrna and then Pfizer adopted the technology and helped develop uh, doing all the clinical studies and everything that was needed and and Pfizer wanted to do it uh with with uh, Pfizer's own own funding and they didn't want any governmental help and all that so so that's what happened and then uh, for my you know contributions i mean i retired from Pfizer after 28 years and uh, and and then i've been since 2010 i've been working with uh, many companies that includes Pfizer uh, externally so i'm i'm not a Pfizer employee anymore but i work from outside and help them with stuff. So, so that's I just wanted to get the clarity up to you so that people don't mistake me that uh, that I'm a Pfizer employee right now. So, just right. wanted, yeah. Okay, thank you. So, I know you're not currently working for Pfizer, uh, and I'm going to run this by you because I'm sure you've heard. There's so there are a large percentage of Americans that I know of because I live here who mm -hmm. are afraid of taking this vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much, um, you know, controversy and so much crazy beliefs that this vaccine is going to kill us because it was made too fast. And uh, as an expert and someone who has such a good background in pharmaceuticals and who's worked with Pfizer for as long as you have, can you shed light on this concern that people have that within the next two years, we're all of the all of us who have taken it are going to die. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think that's all. Uh, you know, media sometimes creates 
you know these misimpressions and and uh, and misinformation and i think i think science ultimately wins and and i know the science <laughs> I, i studied it uh, to its uh, totality and and understood it as i understood it and uh, and mrna is a novel technology and it's not only going to help create new vaccines but it will also create new drugs which will be eventually used for oncology or the cancer uh, type therapies so right so i think i think first of all that notion of you know people uh, going to get negatively affected is totally wrong uh, and and the science is so clear and and you have seen the efficacy rates you know over 95 96% and those kinds of efficacy rates you wouldn't get if if it was not not effective enough so so i think that's number one number two it has got uh, so much of a you know uh, i mean so many people have taken the vaccine to date and and if you looked at that you know there is always going to be a gaussian distribution of people feeling good people you know having no effect at all but then there are certain level of people who have some uh, pre existing conditions and some um, comorbidities we call it uh, that can have some impact in terms of their uh, you know as soon as they take it they may feel sick or they may so those what i call side effects are very normal to have only people who have had let's say you know organ transplant or who are immune compromised or who are in that category where they are very uh, uh, sensitive to certain elements which are present in the vaccine and which cannot so for those you have to really you know make sure that you are not falling into that zone of people right. as long as you take care of that uh, i think i think 98% of the people you know will 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 have positive effect and those 2% what I, why i call 2% because of comorbidities or some other things already present in in people that can have impact i mean i, I don't even want to call a negative impact it will have an impact to cause some side effects so so for that you have to use your own judgment and and you may have to contact your own physician to make sure you know you are okay to take vaccines especially mrna or or for that matter the conventional adenovirus vaccine which is created out of the the virus itself whereas this is the thread or the protein that is extracted which is the messenger rna protein which body thinks it is a virus attacking you and they create antibodies so so i think you know uh, i i can 100% say with my science background that one should not even feel that there is it it has got to do with any side i mean any negative effect on this thank you i had to ask you that because it's a conversation i have and have had as recent as yesterday mm. and i think the concern for most people is they they claim that vaccines normally take 10 years before they're approved by the fda and this vaccine feels like it was approved even before the year was complete and that is that was the concern that people have or that is the concern that a lot of people have so thank you for that clarification so you've done some phenomenal things in your career well during your career while you were at pfizer um for example you took president former president bush to india in 2005 Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, uh, something that, uh, uh, you know, they, uh, president wanted to travel to India and uh, and obviously, you know, some of the people that, uh, that I, I was part of the, what they call then was the AUSIB, which is the Alliance for US-India Businesses. So I was part of that. And then uh, when I met with President Bush, you know, he, he essentially said, oh, what do you do? I said, I work with Pfizer. And he said, oh, okay, I'm going to go to India and maybe you can you can be a part of this. So so that's how he ended up inviting me. And, uh, you know, I mean, my research experience has been at the bench. So so I really, you know, was with my white coat and with, with all this stuff, you know, I enjoyed working, you know, at the bench level. And uh, then I had a chance to lead uh, lots of researchers within Pfizer uh, who were developing some novel uh, therapies, novel drug delivery systems, uh, novel technologies, novel uh, diagnostics, you know, you name it. And it was all about innovation. So, so innovation is something that I enjoy very much. And, uh, and, and Pfizer, you know, I mean, uh, they invited me to give a lecture only about three months ago. It was March the 11th. I gave a keynote address. Uh, it was a virtual keynote, obviously, three months ago. And, and at Pfizer, I gave it to the legal division of Pfizer globally. So, so it was attended by many, many people from Pfizer. And uh, I spoke about innovation. So I spoke because, uh, you know, legal division is part of, uh, you know, our headquarters. And, right. uh, and, and they wanted to know from a researcher like me, who is now external, but, but had, you know, almost 28 and a half years at Pfizer, and they wanted to know from me my my impression now from outside as to what I thought about innovation and why it is so important. So, so they invited me as an external speaker, and uh, and they also invited Scott Kelly, who is an astronaut, as an external speaker. So we were uh, invited to this, and uh, I was thrilled to be part of that. So. That is so exciting! Congratulations! Oh, thank if you. anyone watching this interview would like to access that particular um interview where can they find it uh, it was it was for internal pfizer usage oh. but I, I do have the the pdf that i presented so so that i can make it available to you if you wanted to so yes please in case someone wants i would like to watch it yeah yeah because you know i created you know a kind of a historical perspective on innovation especially in the in the healthcare field you know how how things got started you know from uh, back from the penicillin days to now and 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 what was the major uh, achievement by you know the in the pharmaceutical field uh, and and it ends with the invention of this new vaccine mrna vaccine which essentially saved uh, so many lives i mean that's that's how it ends so innovation has the has the meaning to it so so yeah, generally, I will be happy to forward you my my PDF, and uh, and from that you can capture lots of good things. I am going to thank you so much. Yeah. Now, for someone who is passionate about innovation and who has such a solid background in pharmaceuticals and the medical field, um, how do you feel about cancer and Parkinson's and? these diseases that have plagued the world for as far back as we know, we seem to have so much innovation, so much inventions. Um, I mean, you and I are doing this. I'm sitting in your office with you while you're with me and mine, right? Look at all of this. 
How do you feel about the cures for those illnesses? No, I think I think you hit it right on the mark here because uh, you know I was uh, just two nights ago I had a dinner with the former president of R and D of Pfizer and and we talked about exactly this very thing you know so so cancer you talked about oncology and I I spoke to you earlier uh, that uh, you know mRNA technology would be utilized to to uh, to have the therapies for cancer which is which is almost going to be like giving you a cancer vaccine once you have it then then you don't have to at least worry about getting that kind of a cancer for which it has been prescribed to so so i think that's going to happen in the next i would say 5 years you will have a mrna cancer vaccine i mean this is something that i think will happen and uh, and i'm not saying it will be available but it will be in the in the pipeline that's what i'm saying so so that's number one number two you talked about parkinson but i think uh, you know i would even talk about uh, alzheimers because alzheimers is a one disease where uh, you know just recently two weeks ago you know fda approved biogen's new drug uh, wow uh but but uh, you know that's a little bit controversial and i don't want to get into controversy here but i think uh, you know the advisory committee which is external to the fda recommended not approve it fda not approve it however fda went ahead and approved it and and after that approval came through three of the advisory board members resigned from the committee saying you know you know we and we told not to approve and and they still approved it and uh, and and again you know i mean fda has its own way of doing things but and that's fine i'm not i'm not uh, criticizing anybody here but what i'm saying is there are always going to be these controversies you know but but you know what this leads to is other companies competing with with the current therapies available uh, and and make it even better so that the controversies are gone and you are you are then then you end up with something which is going to work so so right now as you probably know i mean biogen is you know basically one of the companies which which has uh, had the approval and this is after 20 years that any drug for alzheimer's has been approved so so now there is a little hope but but you know it's going to cost 56000 per patient and out of that Uh, out of that fifty-six thousand dollars per year per patient cost, I mean that affordability is a big question mark. So, so setting that aside for a minute, I think uh, you know uh, the innovation is still going on with some companies, and there are two companies uh, right now. Lily is one of the companies which is uh, working on it, and and they will have something for uh, which is in phase three. And and again, this is all public information, so I'm just providing you that. so lily has a has a very good drug and i hope uh, that gets approved as well uh, i i just was recently in indianapolis and i had a meeting with lily ceo uh, david rex uh, we didn't talk about alzheimer's like the, the meeting was for another another reason but uh, but anyway so that is something that you know one has to one has to take a look at and then there is another company called alzion which has uh, which has a oral drug oral pill for for alzheimers which is which is going to make a huge difference in in people you know who want 
something cheaper, better, faster. I mean, I mean that, and they are in phase three, and uh, and the data so far, I mean, what is in the public domain uh, look, is looking good, and and wow. that that may be another drug, which is uh, you know people want simple pill. They don't want to go to a doctor's place and get injections and and these uh, very very expensive monoclonal antibodies and and costing you $56,000 a year for therapy, that's going to be a, a, a big question mark. But anyway, I mean, so, so Alzion has a, has a new drug. And uh, in fact, I mean, you know, we are celebrating uh, that next week uh, in, at the Alzion facility because, uh, because I know the CEO, he came out of Pfizer and he established this company and he has taken this drug. So, so, so this is what I call the uh, you know, this is the reward you get uh, if you if you do a right innovation and you work, you know, your way in to see, you know, what's out there and how can I do better than that? How can I do better than this? So, so at least you have a pathway for for showing your innovation, making strides and making good uh, for what is needed because this is unmet medical need. And if you have unmet medical need. You need something which works, and and uh, I'm hoping that uh, this drug this drug will uh, go through the phase three, will get approved, and and things will work out for the humanity, and that's my hope. This is fantastic news. I think it's terrific what you guys are doing, but you know when you think about medicine, you look at the world, and you look at you look at all the innovation in tech. I mean, it's just blowing our socks off. The other day I was filling out a questionnaire and the amount of apps that are available, I wasn't even aware of half of them. Mm. And I marvel at the brilliance behind this. Yes. But yes. when it comes to medicine, it's not quite the same. And I am aware that it has a lot to do with the cost. It's a lot more in medicine. It's a lot more money is required because you have to do so many clinical trials and you have to get it right before the FDA approves it. Exactly. But I was thinking about this, and maybe you can shed some light on it for me. You know, we've been plagued with the cancer and Alzheimer's and like the diseases that you and I know of that for generations have taken people out and we have no cure. We have treatment, but not cure. Why do you think we were able to come up with this COVID vaccine so fast and yet we are still sort of in an incubator with the cures for those diseases. You know, I mean, see, when it comes to infectious disease type of areas, yes, you know, usually for let's take a course of antibiotics, you know, it's very easy in terms of showing that it kills the bacteria or the virus by saying, okay, this is, you, you put the Petri dish with, with bacteria or virus and you mix it with your agent. And, and then next day you see, oh my God, it's, there is no bacteria remaining, everything is dead. So, so with that, you know, then, then you get to know, oh my God, you know, this work really works. So, so that kind of endpoint or the biomarker, what I call it, is very clear. It's it's there or it's not there, right? I mean, it's yes or no. So, when when that kind of establishment of biomarker gets done quickly, that allows antibiotics to be on a fast track for okay. development. Okay. 
Same thing is with the, with the, with the vaccine. You know, when you do your phase one, phase two, you clearly know, you know, whether the patient or the, or the subject, I, mean, I, should, I shouldn't say patient at this point because it is given to normal volunteers. And, and so you know, you know, what kind of biomarker reaction it is showing, whether it is showing any antibodies. And antibodies is a clear indicator uh, that, that yes, this has, there were no antibodies in the blood to begin with. And then when you injected with this, you know, within two weeks or three weeks, it had created antibodies and those are measurable. And so that's what I call, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, anti-infectives or antivirals, you know, there is some way of measurement and that allows one to go quickly. So it's not the same as with cancer because cancer can reoccur, you know, it can re-emerge and, uh, you know, you may think you're taking it out, but then you know, I mean, breast cancer, for example, lots of people say, oh, I mean, it's gone, it's gone. But then after six months, it back again. pops back. So same thing with the colon cancer. You know, I mean, I know somebody who went through that recently and then the, you know, it was kind of a stage four colon cancer. They took the, uh, you know, colon out, but then it emerged in the stomach. And now they are asking them that she has to get her stomach out. So, I mean, so things of that nature you know, are, are tough and, and you cannot reach the end point. Mm -hmm. so, so that's why it takes so many years because they need to study it for so long, right? I mean, you need long-term data for that. Whereas for anti-infective or antibacterial, there is no long-term need for that kind of work. You know, you either know you got it or you did not get it. It's yes or no, and and that's what makes it uh, easier. I, I shouldn't say easier, but that's what makes it uh, crisp to say yes, we got it, we got the efficacy. I mean, as soon as uh, you know uh, that Pfizer realized that the efficacy of this after having done the phase three was ninety six and a half percent. I mean, that's like oh my god, you know, nobody expected that, but. That's what it showed, and and that's the clarity that allowed Pfizer and Moderna to introduce this mRNA vaccine. So, as someone who is so involved in the medical world with as much experience as you have, and you're clearly very brilliant at Softview, <laughs> I really respect people such as yourself. Is it difficult for you now because you you are from India originally, aren't you? Yep see what's happening in India now. I was doing some research on this and I was following the news and I know that we offered to send them some Pfizer vaccines and I was told it needs to be kept so cold under such cold freezing temperatures that it was not successful helping the people in India. Is this true? Do you know? Um, I, I wouldn't give that as the reason why it was not given to India and there were other other things uh, involved okay. as well. I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, you are absolutely right. It requires minus 90 degree storage and it requires, I mean, cold chain uh, logistics. It requires all the things, especially if you had to reach the rural regions. I mean, you don't have that kind of a storage capability. Yes, but, you know, I mean, so it, it could, could go to the big cities. I mean, big cities have all these things available, like we have it here in the U.S. And and uh, however, you know, there were other reasons uh, where Indian government initially said you know, they would want to conduct some studies in Indian population, 
uh, clinical studies uh, in Indian population to make sure it, it works the way it works in the US. And, and they also wanted to, you know, I mean, so, so that would have taken another six months, right, to do the clinical studies. So that's number one. Number second factor was indemnity, you know, and uh, Indian government was not ready to award indemnity to Pfizer. And again, I'm not talking on behalf of Pfizer here by any means, but I'm just saying when they said that, that was a non-starter for Pfizer saying, you know, hey, if you are not going to offer us the immunity, uh, indemnity, then uh, why would I want to even, you know, do it in India? Because again, it was not a financially viable deal anyways. I mean, it was almost like donating. Yet, if, if somebody was to fall sick after that and where to sue the company, if the company didn't want to get those kinds of legal uh, claims uh, because, you know, first of all, I mean, you know, if, if the favor is being done, you know, you don't want the lawsuit to come after you. So, of course. <laughs> so, so indemnity was one of the non-starters. So, so again, I don't want to get into that too much, but those are the two factors which caused, okay. uh, you know, not having gone, gone there yet. I understand. So over the years of working in your field, what would you say? I mean, I know you've learned, you've had tons of experiences, but yeah. what would you say was the one or at least one profound experience you've had doing this work that will stick with you for the rest of your life that you want to make sure you impart upon mankind? Yeah, so, so you know, I think, uh, I really think, you know, I cannot put one thing in the front of others right. because, because it's all culmination of experience. But then one thing I, I learned is, uh, you know, every year, I mean, I have now almost 40 years in the pharmaceutical research since, since I finished my doctorate, I have 40 years on top of that now. So, so with those 40 years of work, you know, what I, I say is that, you know, I learn every day. So, so learning, 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 and learning from the day one to all the learnings over the years, I got to know better and better. I got to do better and better. I could do it sooner i could do it uh, at a at a much um, quality way and then the third thing was at uh, lower cost because cost of goods is important so so i could find the ways to manufacture certain things at cost effective way i could do certain things which are much quicker than doing it all different ways and third is quality. Maintaining quality is very important. So, so I learned that from all the experience and, and some of the failures that happen during the research. I mean, not everything goes to market. Even if it goes to market, it may not be successful in the business viewpoint. And I'll give you one example, uh, which is uh, inhalable insulin that Pfizer worked on uh, in the mid nineties. And I was part of the team we called it, uh, the, the product was called Exubera, which was inhalable insulin rather than injecting insulin. Right. Inhale through a device and it goes through your lungs. So it's a pulmonary delivery. So it goes through your lungs and it gets absorbed there. And, right. and then you don't have to take injections every day. So that was the device and we got it approved through the FDA. And, and Pfizer worked with an external company which had the device and the systems uh, patent on the device as well called Inhale Therapeutics was the company out of California. Uh, 
and we worked with them. We had uh, you know very good success. We could do the generation one, generation two, generation three device. The device was so good that people loved it, and and Pfizer thought this will be a billion plus dollar uh, product, and then. Once the FDA approved it, Pfizer introduced it to the market. And then the first year revenue was kind of 50 million in the first year of revenue. And, and yeah. Pfizer, Pfizer CEO said, let's pull the plug on this. You know, this is not a business, doesn't make business sense because we, we invested 1.5 billion on developing this. Right. And now we are getting only 50 million a year. So, so see how long it will take to recoup, recoup the cost and all that. So he said, pull the plug. So we essentially, after having introduced it to the market, Exubera was had to be pulled out because of the business reasons. So, so efficacy is one of the reasons, and and side effect is another reason. But this is a totally business reason. So, so these are the learnings that that uh, you know you learn from working for that long. You know, so I know. You know, you can, you, it's easier and better to kill a given compound in the research than try to do it up to this extent and then kill it because then you have spent so much money. So, mm -hmm. so it's all and, about learnings. And I've interviewed someone who was a, um, a, a one of the top professionals at Roche. Um, he was on my show not so long, uh, here before. He's okay. actually in Switzerland now and, um, when I interviewed him, that's one of the things he said, you know, some you win some and you lose some. Yeah. But unfortunately, when you lose in pharma, you lose a lot because the clinical trials, um, the cost is astronomical. Yeah, it's like $10,000 a patient is the phase three cost these days, you know, because you have uh, so many patients you need, you know, 30,000, 40,000. Mm -hmm. And putting 10,000 a patient, you know, <laughs> goes through. But, but it's so sad when something like this happens because you pull something off the market that was clearly effective because not a lot of people can handle being injected every day. I know, I know. But 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 then they said, okay, out of 50 million in revenue, you know, because of the costs involved in the manufacturer and getting that device and everything done. Marketing. You know, Marketing. I mean, so so the costs were, you know, and so margins were razor thin, and and it didn't make sense. You know, we didn't want to get into a product, you know, which is not making too much money. And and again, you know, you look for, you know, the stakeholders' benefit, right? The, the not only stakeholders in that regard, but also stockholders who 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 want some return on their investment. So so that was not the way to get the return on your investment. Yeah, because my friend from Roche that I interviewed, the Swiss guy, he's now in charge of the largest VC in Europe, VC mm -hmm. sector in Europe. And I was asking him about, you know, how do you know which, which is the right company to invest in that will bring you the rewards of your investment? Mm -hmm. And he says it's a total gamble. You just kind of go with the outcome of the research that you put into making your decision. Sure. But when I look at some like companies like Pfizer, for example, and you make this product like you had to pull off of the market. Mm -hmm. When you were speaking, I was thinking about this. These pharmaceutical companies, they come up with amazing cures and products to help us, pills and injections and whatever, delivery systems. Mm -hmm. But it costs them so much 
to produce these um, products mm -hmm. that by the time they get to the market, half of the consumers can't afford them. So how do you think that divide can be bridged? So that when you bring these amazing products to the market, it will serve the purpose for which all the work, the research and development has gone into because it's affordable for the average person. How do you think we can bridge that divide? No, I think I think it's not the question of uh, bridging the divide here. I think I think uh, one has to always one in the sense the company has to always think uh, that you know what is your cost of goods and and there is a rule of thumb you know that uh, your cost of goods has to be close to fifteen to twenty percent range. In other words, you know your cost of manufacturing that product should be fifteen cents on a dollar essentially. And, and if that happens, then there is enough room for everybody afterwards in the supply chain to, to, to gain because uh, you know the selling price is $1 and your cost of manufacture is 15. So you got marketing costs, you got uh, you know, the costs which are you know, for, for distribution, for packaging. I mean, there are lots of things involved after that uh, and and also you know it's it's all about even uh, you know these companies like McKesson you know they charge so much and then you got pharmacists I mean so there are lots of stakeholders after that and uh, and companies so so company has to make some money on, on that otherwise you know all these billions of dollars uh, you know essentially spent and not only the successful compounds but the compounds which you worked on but never even made it to beyond phase three becomes a big, 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 uh, you know, spend. So, so that's why the model had changed over the years. You know, it's more uh, nowadays discovery is done by smaller biotech companies and, and the companies uh, now essentially license it out when they have gone through the phase two B, which is the, what they call the proof of concept. Once POC is done, then the pharma companies can take on and do their phase three and make it happen. But, but I think lots of money was spent in the early discovery stages where uh, companies lost so much because you know every thousand compounds only one may make it. So, so you got to really you know, prepare for, for failures. And, but then there were lots of learnings too. I mean, so learnings you know, is, a, is a game because that's what I call the knowledge management and you have to do it right. And I strongly believe that the best teacher is experience. I live by that. <laughs> yeah, true, true, very true. When I first started producing this show 11 years ago, I think within my third year, I was lucky to be invited into a live surgery where they used the Da Vinci robot. Oh, to wow. To, re to remove a patient's colon. Um, yep. And I remember looking at it thinking, gosh, if I have to have surgery, that's what I want. It was so clean and so concise and the doctor didn't have to stick his hand, which is so big into this delicate part of the person's body. And I was so excited. I'm like, this is amazing. I love innovation. Mm -hmm. But when I heard the cost, I go, why isn't everyone using this method for their surgery? And then I heard the cost mm -hmm. and the majority of the consumers cannot afford to pay for that. It's better now, but yeah. I know enough to know that, especially with devices, so much money is burned doing clinical trials 
that you own the cost and by the time it's approved and gone through all of the processes and the marketing, that jacks the price up to where most people can't afford it. Exactly, exactly right. No, you 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 got it. I mean, you know, it's it's all about uh, costs and sometimes you know, uh, uh, you know, if you have a scale up which happens and then there are lots of uh, people who need the thing, then then the cost may come down. But if it's an orphan drug, you know, you got only limited number of patients, it's not going to recover any cost. So the companies say, what the heck, you know, why are we working on it? You know, so, but at the same time, we feel compelled to work on some orphan therapies. And, uh, and, and although there are less number of patients, but if it can cure those patients, you know, it's all about patients, right? So, so, so I've been working with the company uh, right now uh, and helping them with their NDA. Uh, they are also in the orphan drug type of work, you know, and, yes. and it's called Wilson's disease. So, which is very, very, you know, few people in the world have it or get it. And, but there is no therapy, but this drug offers them a great hope. So, so I'm working on it with them and uh, hoping that they will succeed and, and make it happen. So they're, their NDA is being filed in January of uh, 2022, which is in six months. Well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for them because when I went on that little tirade just now, I was going to ask you, do you feel that you, that scientists and researchers come up with lots of cures sometimes or treatments, but they don't pursue it because in the end they fear that it won't it, that would be a losing um, cause because they won't be able to make the money that is required to spend on it. Have I you experienced a lot of those? Lots of those, lots of those, you know, because, you know, there is one thing you have to always remember, if there is any therapy currently available, and if it's a you know, therapy is available, then people wouldn't go after something like a me too, drug or therapy right. because uh, that's not needed uh, whereas certain you know what we call the orphan diseases or rare diseases um, fda gives them concessions in terms of its speed of approval or whatever and it's also you know sometimes gets you know subsidies and all that so so if that is available and if fda is giving you fast tra track designation for your orphan disease drug you know, that's an incentive because, because it not only, I mean, you are not doing it for the sake of making money, but if you are making money on 10 other drugs, you may as well work on two or three drugs, which are orphan disease areas and which is, helps the humanity. So I think, I think not that it gets totally uh, outcast, but I think, I think companies do consider it and they say, okay, what is involved, you know, what is the cost of goods and, and are we able to go through in a faster rate and whatnot. So, so and if it has shown any sign of efficacy, uh, then, then people say excited about it and then, and then they work on it and, and things happen. So, so yes, I think uh, to answer that question, you know, there are other exceptions to that rule, but the rule of thumb is, you know, if there is no current therapy, uh, try to make it work, you know, if, if you can. So that's, that's the bottom line. This is great. I am so happy. Can you believe we're almost out of 45 minutes? Yes. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. Wow. What haven't I asked you that you want to make sure you leave with my viewers? I think, 
you know I, what i want to say is you know innovation is is extremely important and and pay attention to innovation i mean i'm not saying just in the healthcare but any other sectors so so what sector you are in uh, you know try to innovate something which will have a bigger impact in the in the coming years and i think uh, and and me being in healthcare you saw the impact uh, it has made in the in the in the global population i mean if this vaccine was not being done or worked upon you know we would have been in the same stage as last year this time uh, when when people were suffering and 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 the disease was like uh, rampant everywhere and uh, and the hospitals were saturated with people so so i think remember innovation is going to save the world and uh, and i think no matter what discipline what sector you are in innovation is always good even take the auto automotive sector you know i mean the the electric cars are here to stay and and it that sector will grow and i think teslas of the world will grow and uh, i have been working with lamborghini by the way and uh, and and this morning i had a call with lamborghini on creating electric vehicles motorcycles and and i am helping with that aspect as well in the innovation side so lamborghini is a good friend of mine so so i i have been helping him i read that in your bio but i'm like we need two shows if we're going to share all these wonderful things you've done there's no way to get it all in 30 minutes i know i know, yeah. if you don't mind i'd love to do a show with you on that at the right time yeah yeah we can do it some other time but i just uh, had a chat with lamborghini this morning and we were talking about electric motorcycles and what not so so yeah we can leave it at some other oh, day yeah exciting. okay and last question and then i'll wrap it up what do you want to say to the people who are afraid to take the covid vaccine i think you know uh, you have to ask yourself you know why are you afraid of and and if you look at the overall population i mean 70 60 60 plus percentage overall in the us at least uh, have taken it and 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 if you, if so many people have taken it uh, you know obviously you know there has to be something good in that so so remember that part and and then ask yourself do you fall into these categories that that i mentioned about you know having immune compromised or or having reaction to any of the uh, formulations in the in the vaccine that caused you any reaction so are you allergic to certain uh, you know egg albumin for example i mean i'm just giving you some points but if you are not in that category of 1 or 2% people i think i think it's in your benefit to to get the vaccine and 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 be you know safe and and it will not only help you but it will also help the herd immunity we call it and and that's good for the world so so i think that's my message and uh, you know i think uh, i'm so happy genuine that we could get this chance to talk to you and and i hope i provided with some some good uh, you know words here dr jed watercar i am so grateful i hope i didn't mispronounce your name no 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 you did pretty well very well yeah. thank you so thank you for your time thank you for your expertise and i'm sure that anybody watching this show will have a much clearer understanding at least about the reason that they should take the vaccine thank and you and i thank you again thank you so much for watching conversations with jenny len 
when a conversation is all you need to be inspired and educated. And if you were not inspired by this gentleman, you were asleep. So thank you. And I'll see you next time with another fascinating guest. You are amazing. Thank you. I hope I asked. You know, why are you afraid of? And, and if you look at the overall population, I mean, 70, 60, 60 plus percentage overall in the US at least uh, have taken it. And, and, and if, you, if so many people have taken it, uh, you know, obviously, you know, there has to be something good in that. So, so remember that part and, and then ask yourself, do you fall into these categories that, that I mentioned about, you know, having immune compromised or, or having reaction to any of the uh, formulations in the, in the vaccine that caused you any reaction? So are you allergic to certain, uh, you know, egg albumin, for example? I mean, I'm just giving you some points, but if you are not in that category of one or 2% people, I think, I think it's in your benefit to, to get the vaccine and 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 be you know safe and and it will not only help you but it will also help the herd immunity we call it and and that's good for the world so so I think that's my message and uh, you know I think uh, I'm so happy Jenny Lynn that we could get this chance to talk to you and and I hope I provided with some some good uh, you know words here. Dr. Jed Watakar, I am so grateful. I hope I didn't mispronounce your name. No, 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 you did pretty well, very well. Yeah. Thank you. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise. And I'm sure that anybody watching this show will have a much clearer understanding at least about the reason that they should take the vaccine. Thank and you. I thank you again. Thank you so much for watching Conversations with Jenny Lynn. When a conversation is all you need to be inspired and educated. And if you were not inspired by this gentleman, you were asleep. So thank you. And I'll see you next time with another fascinating guest. Broadcasting from Silicon Valley, California, this is Conversations with Jenny Lynn.